0: chapter 10. We're continuing the series we began this morning, living by faith, and we're moving into the 11th chapter, where we're going to be for quite some time now. But let's prepare for that by starting back in chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 32, to get the background for this. And just a little note in passing that Uh, The author of Hebrews is unknown to us, really. There are different uh, opinions as to who he might be, but no one knows for sure. So we'll just be referring to him as the author throughout this series. So he writes in Hebrews 10, verse 31. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you stood your ground, in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Amen. This is the word of God to us this evening. Let's pray again for a moment. Let's ask for the help of this great God as we come to his word. Our Father, we thank you for all your precious gifts. And yet none is more precious to us than faith. So above all, Father, grant us faith in these moments. Sustain it, revive it, create it. And may this study be more than an intellectual exercise. May it be an act of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Evelyn Harris Brand was a missionary to the people of India in the Kali Malay region. Born in England, she grew up in a well-to-do home, and once married, however, she went with her husband to be a missionary in India. After ten years there, Evelyn's husband died aged only 44. And Evelyn came home, as you can imagine, a very broken, grieving woman. Many people thought that she should give up being a missionary. But after a year's furlough, she decided against advice to return alone to India. She was involved in nursing the sick, teaching farming, rearing orphans, clearing jungle, pulling teeth, establishing schools, and sharing the gospel. And it wasn't a comfortable life. She lived in a portable hut, eight feet square. At the age of 67, Evelyn had an accident, and she broke her hip. Her son, Paul Brand, a world renowned hand surgeon and leprosy specialist, thought this was the opportunity to urge her to retire. After all, he reasoned, she had recently suffered a broken arm, had several cracked vertebrae, recurrent malaria, and in any case, she had by now given over 40 years to the people of India. But Evelyn wasn't finished. If I leave, she said, Who will help the people? Who will treat their wounds and teach them about Jesus? So she persevered. And at the age of 95, she died in India. At the funeral service, she was buried under a simple cotton sheet. And it was said of her that her spirit lives on in a church, in a clinic several schools, and in the faces of thousands of villagers across five mountain ranges of India. Now, that's an inspiring story. But it is also a story that makes me inquire. Because what I ask myself enables people like Evelyn Brand to persevere like that through grief. Through illness, through old age, for 95 years, right to the finish line. What is the secret of the stamina of such a saint? You see, the answer to that question is vital. And it was vital to these Hebrew Christians, these individuals to whom this letter was written. We discover in chapter 10 that they have been facing the loss of their property. They have been facing insult for their faith, imprisonment even. And the writer has already called upon them, as we were thinking this morning, to persevere. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. But the question remains outstanding, does it not? How? How will they be able to finish the race? And maybe that question tonight, it's the same question that you're asking. Maybe you're facing some situations in your life at the moment. Maybe there are few visible blessings on your horizon. Few evidences of God in your Christian experience. And in fact, all you see is a health problem, or a family problem, or a grief problem. And you don't know what on earth will sustain you. Well, there's good news for you this evening, if that is you. Because the author of Hebrews writes to these Christians about the means to persevere, the fuel that he calls faith. Hebrews 10, 38, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe, mark that word, and are saved. You see, faith is what gives us assurance, whatever our circumstances. Hence our title this evening, Faith and Assurance. And therefore, as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, we have to understand That the author is unpacking this persevering faith that will enable us to last to the end. Hebrews 11 describes the kind of faith you need when you're in a Hebrews 10 situation. And so if that's you this evening, struggling, faltering perhaps, then pay close attention to this passage. This wonderful gift to you called faith. So, first of all, and have the passage open in front of you as we look at this, consider with me a description of faith in verse 1. Why is faith suitable to sustain us in difficult times? The author answers, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith sustains us when present circumstances seem hopeless, Precisely because faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Faith, in other words, often concerns the future. If you think about this, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Faith almost always has a forward-looking aspect. Those are the holiday plans that you have in place at the moment. You're looking forward to a trip in the summer. You're eagerly anticipating it. But as it still lies in the future, therefore, you exercise a degree of faith that you're going to make the trip. And even on the day before your holiday, you're still trusting that it's going to happen. But on the day when your plane touches down on the foreign tarmac, when you enter your hotel room, you no longer need faith. You see, as the future rolls into the present, the need for faith diminishes and disappears. As the Apostle Paul put it in another place, who hopes for what he already has? And the wonderful thing is that the Christian has incredible things to look forward to. Promises. Promises of heaven. Expectations of resurrection. Anticipation of final salvation. And though faith trades in this futures market, it is no speculative exercise. Faith is, you notice, sure of what it hopes for. One version says that it is the substance of the things hoped for. The word substance comes from the Latin word substance, what stands beneath us, supporting us, giving us a sure footing and a sure ground. I know that some of you enjoy hill walking, can't understand why. The scenery is beautiful. It's just the exercise, I mean. You know, if you're walking in Scotland, you can hardly avoid walking in a bog from time to time. You know what I'm talking about? A bog, miry, surface. If you're walking and there's more than one of you, then the person in front can place his foot down on a particular piece of ground and turn to the person behind him and say, There's a firm spot. There's sure ground. Plant your foot here. And you see, faith is like that. It provides the solid support during times when everything around seems to be giving way. And of course, if you pause to think about it, this is very different from the common perceptions of faith today, isn't it? The Collins Dictionary defines faith as a strong belief in something, especially without proof. By definition, most people think of faith as the very opposite of assurance, don't they? But for the Christian, we know that faith is the rock-solid assurance of what we hope for. And equally, it is also the certainty of what we do not see. Faith not only deals with the future, it traffics in the realm of the invisible, the unseen. See, there are two main reasons why we need faith. The first reason is that God promises things and many of those things lie in the future. Therefore, we need faith to believe that God will fulfill that future promise. But the second reason you need faith is that there is such a thing as spiritual realities. In other words, there are some things which are imminently present to us in time. They're not future. But as they are spiritual realities, we require faith to perceive them. Many of the great realities in our universe are invisible. The greatest of all beings, God himself, is invisible. Not immediately tangible to us. Other heavenly beings, heavenly realms, are beyond the observation of the naked eye. And yet faith enables us to discern the realities of these things. It's rather like the story of two men. They were standing on the bridge of a ship, and both of them were looking out into the blue yonder. As one man scanned the horizon, he only saw plentiful blue sea, nothing else. But as the other man looked to the same horizon, he perceived a vessel, another ship, in the distance. Now, what was the difference between them? The difference was that one man was using a telescope. And by the aid of that instrument, he was able to see a reality which was beyond the natural vision of the other man. And you see, faith is the lens by which we discern spiritual realities unseen to the naked eye. By faith we perceive God's existence. We see something of his glory, his holiness, his love, heaven, and hell's reality. We see them as certainty. Faith is being sure, certain of what we do not see. I remember the first time that I had a chance to do one of these 3D puzzles. If you've ever done one of these sorts of things, uh, it seems ludicrous when you're first presented with it. It's basically just a picture that looks like a blob of color. However, the other person tells you that, in fact, there is an image hidden within this other picture. Well, I spent for about ten minutes or so crossing my eyes, doing all the things you're meant to do to see this. I couldn't see a thing. And yet this other person was certain of what they perceived. And the same is true of the Christian, you know. By faith, we are assured of these invisible realities. To others, these future realities, we are assured of them. And you know, it's a wonderful thing when everything in your visible view seems like it's going wrong. When all you can see are hardships and griefs and difficulties. In your present, you have these future realities. You have these invisible things that you understand. Now this wonderful description of faith is followed by a further explanation which shows faith value in the second verse. And so we move, in verse 2, to a commendation of faith. We read that this is what the ancients were commended for. Uh, Just yesterday, one of our former assistant pastors at the church here, John Percival, graduated from a seminary in the United States. We received a a very nice letter from the principal of the seminary to say that John not only had passed, but really with distinction. And out of this large student body, he had scooped some of the big prizes. You see, there was something which was recognized. There was something that made him stand out from the crowd, which was perceived by someone else. And you see, the idea of commend is just the very thing here. Literally, it means to be witnessed to, to be recognized, and that by God. The very existence of this 11th chapter of Hebrews and all these individuals shows this to be the case. God takes note of faith-filled people. He commends them to us even today. You may know the story of Vincent van Gogh, one of the great painters. In actual fact, he only sold one painting in his entire lifetime for about 50 pounds in the modern equivalent. He was never recognized by his contemporaries. And yet he is considered a great example of painting today. Here are these individuals. Some of them no doubt slighted by others in the time when they lived. And yet here is God commending them to us. Of course, they were flawed people. They were sinful people like us. And as such, their faith acted as the condition of God's blessing. It wasn't the cause of it. Faith is not a meritorious thing, but it is a necessary means to knowing God. It's the only way to have a relationship with God. Always has been. You notice the words imply this. Even the ancients, that is the elders, were commended for their faith. Faith is not some New Testament innovation. It didn't just come on the scene with Jesus and the Apostle Paul. We shouldn't read the Old Testament and think that all we have is law and good works. But as we come to the New Testament, we have faith. There are differences between the Old and New Testament, of course. But faith isn't one of them. And you know, nothing has changed over 2,000 years. Faith is still the means... By which you access God's favor. As it rests in the person of Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us on the cross. The Apostle Paul put it like this. This righteousness, right standing from God. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe. And you know if you're not a Christian tonight. And if you were seeking God. Be careful, then, that you seek him in the way that he prescribes. It really won't do to say there are many ways to come up the same mountain. There is only one route through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're trying to curry favor with God by what you do, then frankly, you're wasting your time. You need to stop trying and start trusting. And from that point on, as a Christian, you need to continue trusting in God. As we read earlier, we have to persevere in faith all the way to the finish line. Some of you may have read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's about a senior devil who is instructing his young apprentice on how best to stifle Christians. And on one occasion, Screwtape warns young Wormwood, about Christian faith, that it pleases God, especially when exercised in hard times. It's during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in this state of drying are those that please him the best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand And if only the will to walk is there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Did you know that even your stumbles in faith please God? Your fumbling prayers, those dry, quiet times, when you do it anyway. See, when God seems intangible, but we remain faithful, he's pleased. So faith should be seen as robust in the face of our trials because it assures us of hope and the things unseen and because because God commends it. However, as the author comes to conclude his introduction, he puts everything together and shows an illustration of what he's talking about in verse 3, an illustration of faith. Not accidentally, for reasons that we'll see in a moment, the first example is that of creation. By faith, verse 3, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In actual fact, there's some debate over whether this third verse should be seen as part of the main list or as the conclusion to the introduction, verses 1 to 3. Because while it begins with the same by faith formula, It is different in at least two respects from the rest of the list. Firstly, you notice that it's impersonal. Unlike the other examples from verse 4 onwards, here is a more general belief in the event of creation. It's not about Noah. It's not about Abel. It's not about Moses. Secondly, notice as well that unlike the other illustrations which are future-focused, this particular illustration is past-focused. So why the illustration? I've been thinking a lot about this this week. Why did the author put this here, right after what he has said in verses 1 and 2? And it seems to me we have to think of the context once again, the scenario in which these Christians found themselves. Here these Hebrew Christians are with few tangible, visible blessings. So much of what they have in an earthly sense has been taken away from them. And therefore, think of the encouragement of verse 3. The God whose promises they trust, the God who offers eternal hope and reward, is the same God who made everything, the whole universe, from nothing. Who brought all that is tangible from what is intangible and invisible. And that must have made the wonderful connection in their minds. If God can make a universe from nothing, then God can bless my life, despite the fact there's no tangible blessings to see at the moment. He can make everything from nothing. See, it would have been especially encouraging to these Christians who had little and who had lost much. Now, as we examine the verse closely, I think we also see something of the mechanics of how faith works. There's a kind of flowchart of faith That I'd like us to consider. First of all, something that's implied from the surrounding verses. First of all, that God's word creates faith. The faith that appears in verse 3 doesn't come out of nowhere. It is a response to something as we read Hebrews chapter 10 into chapter 11. Someone has said, faith shuts its eyes to all that is seen And opens its ears to all God has said. See, as we look to the surrounding verses, we see that it is hearing the word of God, the word of the speaking God, which precedes faith in God. Indeed, the book of Hebrews, if you turn right back to the first chapter, you would see, begins with God's word. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son. And you know, this same communicating God had spoken into the lives of these Hebrew Christians. They had already embraced the gospel at this point. We read, for example, in verse 26, that they had received the knowledge of the truth. We did in verse 32, that they had received the light. You see, the Word of God had created faith. In God, as it says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and the hearing of the word of God. So God's word leads to faith, but a second thing follows, and we see this very clearly in this verse. Faith then leads to understanding. seems to me that what this verse is saying is that unbelievers are, by definition, limited in their ability to understand God's universe. You see, it's a funny thing. Usually people think of faith in opposition to logic and knowledge, don't they? As if one contradicts the other. But in actual fact, faith leads to understanding. It runs to it as sure as the river runs to the sea. According to this verse, rather than sacrificing our intellect on the altar of faith, faith actually provides the key which unlocks the corridor Of exploration. As the theologian Anselm once said, I do not seek to understand that I believe, but I believe that I may understand. For this I also believe, that unless I believe, I will not understand. Or someone else has put it like this, faith often outreaches reason, but it does not outrage it. That's why many of the great scientists and great thinkers in all sorts of areas have been Christians, rightly so. And this understanding, stemming from faith, stemming from God's word, leads finally to greater perseverance, encouragement. As we've been saying, this illustration serves to remind these Christians of the tangible blessings which God can create out of nothing. George Muller was a great Christian philanthropist of the 19th century. He did a remarkable work, like Evelyn Brand, among orphans. 2,000 children he supported daily in an orphanage in Bristol. And he was never disappointed. He didn't ask for financial support. And yet through prayer, he always had enough. On one occasion, Muller spoke of the faith he required for a long and hard ministry and what he had learned from that experience he said it is the very time for faith to work when sight ceases the greater the difficulties the easier for faith as long as there remains certain natural prospects faith does not get along easily if i may say so as when all natural prospects fail And therefore, in conclusion, I wonder at the end of this day, when we've considered what it means to persevere, what it means to have faith in God. I wonder, are you needing some encouragement tonight to persevere, to go on? I wonder, perhaps, are you faltering a little bit in the race that's been marked out for you? I wonder if visible blessings are hard to see, tangible evidences of God's help seem out of your vision. Well, if that is you, then I say to you, do what the great saints did. Embrace faith. Believe God's word. Trust God's promises. Not your eyesight. And when everything else falters, may your faith, your faith in God, in Christ Jesus, uphold you. Let us pray together.